Hello and welcome to Dorks on Sports, a podcast about four dorks talking about sports. My name is Daniel. Joining me as always is Curtis Eastwood. Curtis, what's going on? I'm pumped. You're pumped. What are we I'm what are pumped. we pumped about? What's that? What are we pumped about? Uh I got the girls from the shining right behind me. <laughs> yeah. Terrifying. Uh, I'm pumped about my Seahawk defense. Mm. Are they meant to be Kobe Bryant and uh, And Tariq Wallen? Maybe. Maybe (laughs) they are. (laughs) Well, we're going to get into that, and I I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Uh, We got Alana over there. How's it going, Alana? Doing all right. How's it going with you? Oh, you know. You know, I'm 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 uh, I'm host a podcast. I got oh, yeah. uh, I got my really Asian pumpkin drink, and uh, and uh, larceny bourbon, and uh, I'm 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 ready to go. Nice. Yeah, Millie. What's yeah. Going on? How's it going? How'd your fantasy team do? Oh man, Mike Williams. That's all I have to say about my fantasy team. Ouch. Uh, yeah. You're having was- a rough season. I, I, I really am. Yeah. Um, I lost both of my, you know, regular, uh, leagues. I ended up losing, um, one I was supposed to lose and then like came from behind. I'm going to win it. All I need is 10 points out of Mike Williams. No. No. no, 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 that did not happen on Monday. And then in my other league, I just, uh, I just got outdunned by a number of factors and uh but it it is what it is uh i survived my guillotine league uh i'm just gonna dust myself off and see what i can do next hey, week. my condolences i mean this is this is the time in the fantasy season when you really start watching that waiver wire right i mean this is where you're going to be looking for the diamonds in the rough and uh and those you know, maybe maybe those backups uh, who are playing behind a running back who probably has injury concerns or, uh, you know, an offensive line that's uh, surprisingly playing very well. Um, yeah, I think this is this, that's why I was always bad at fantasy. I was kind of, I, I was really bad at hitting in the waiver wire. I was always pretty good at drafting, but but then as it happens four of your best guys go down and then you have to start digging into the waiver wire. And that's, that's where I would leave It'll it. be an interesting week in general, I think for a lot of folks, because both the, uh, the Eagles and the bills have buys. Mm-hmm. And th- those are a lot of the fantasy rosters yeah. right now. Yeah, for sure. For <laughs> uh, this week's sure. buys are going to, are going to hit hard on some folks. So uh, hopefully that will work out in my favor. I just hope that whoever has Travis Kelsey, I don't have to play them on a week. Maybe they have a bye. I already had to face him once. Like, it's just bad. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, I, this is a good time to be a Seattle sports fan. I, so I'm rocking. I got my, my, my Seahawks beanie. I've got my Mariners jersey and my, my Kraken scarf because for one week in Seattle, all three major sports teams were playing. And that was just, uh, I, I, I don't think there was a day I didn't watch sports. That was, it was a good week. Um, let's, I mean, we got to talk Mariners, right? You know, so the Mariners, uh, they're, they're out. They, they lose to the Houston Astros. Uh, the Houston Astros just have their number. But I'll tell you, the Mariners are closing that gap. 
And I know they didn't win a game in that series, right? Houston swept us uh, in that in that playoff series. But we went the distance in each one of those games. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Mariners were probably leading more innings than the Astros did. The Astros just have the hitting to pull it off in the eighth and ninth innings. Specific stat on that. They played 36 innings of baseball. The Mariners were leading or tied after 30 of the 36 innings. Yeah, that that's, yeah, that's, that's incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that, you know, if you have another great off season, the Seattle Mariners can catch up to the Houston Astros next season. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I also like, you know, I was like, ah, man, you know, that's that's rotten that we only got three games against Houston. Oh, well, but really, we got four. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, when you go 18 innings in a game. <laughs> uh, that was a wild game. I want to I want to talk about that game. That was a, that was a long game. I, I think it broke the Seattle Mariners record for length of time, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily how many innings it went um that was a gutsy game i heard from both clubs but I, I, you know the the bullpen coming out somebody was going to give up the home run and that's what the game was going to come down to mm-hmm. um but all the pitching being able to come out and play as well as they did. I mean, that bullpen rarely let anybody on base. It was just like rockets, you know, across the, uh, across the base. And then it was like one, two, three, and, you know, and then, and then they're gone. Um, I I have to give it up to Cal Raleigh for playing all 18 innings. Uh, I'm sure he's going to be icing that hand for the next three months. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, So it has me thinking you know, this is a really exciting time for the Seattle Mariners. I don't think this is the last time that the Seattle Mariners will be going to the postseason. Um, and yeah, it man. feels like to me, you know, this is one of those uh, perennial playoff teams for the next five, seven years. Uh, Alana, who, who, who's, who's this team building around? Who's going to be the one that's going to like take us to the top and put us over and the guys that we're going to build around? Yeah, uh, so I'm going to back up just a little bit. I was at the game uh, on Saturday, and um, uh, Felix surprised us. I didn't know he was going to be throwing the first pitch. I don't know if that was common knowledge, uh, but the, that was the first moment of like, oh, shit, this is real. Yeah. Uh, they put they flashed the King logo up on the screen. Uh, then it was like everybody was like, you know, and then he came out of the uh, bullpen and, uh, you know, greeted everybody along the way. And then he came out and threw a first pitch that was just like he just it was like 10 feet in front of the mound and he just softly tossed it in. And I was like, that's right, Felix, you don't need to do this anymore. That's right. <laughs> it, it was it was so obvious that he was like thrilled to be there. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, that set the mood for the whole day and it really set the mood for the whole day because there was no offense in that game, um, right. on either team from either um, club. Yeah. From either club. And so, uh, what I, when, when we're talking about, um, was a little bit more about the experience of being there. Uh, I, I, it took me two full days to recover. Um, like Sunday I was okay. I was watching football. I was laying down. I let my body rest because I had been 
standing and sitting and standing and sitting and standing and sitting for the entire 18 innings. Anytime the Mariners were up to bat, I was on my feet. Um, there, we, we all kind of took a break. We, we silently agreed that it was okay to sit down for the first two batters for the, uh, uh, pitches one and two, strikes yeah. one and two, when the Astros are up to bat. Yeah. By the 18th inning, that was really important. Um, <laughs> so uh, I rested my body on Monday. And then I really started to feel the effects of the smoke of being out in that yeah. and in bad. that air for nine hours. Um, Cause we got there at like 1130, we left at 730 and then we walked for an hour to catch the, the light rail. Um, because we didn't want to go the way everybody else was going and my eyes are still, still feeling it. So like, it was, it was a really unique and memorable experience for all those reasons. I've never high five more random strangers on stra- on punch outs at the end of innings. Um, <laughs> it was, it was exceptional. It was tremendous. It was, uh, a marathon of a game. We all stayed after and chanted, let's go Mariners. Uh, after the game, That's uh, awesome. it felt really meaningful to do that. You could see the players who were standing in outside of the dugout. I think I could see Kelnick and and Hanager. I had decent seats. Um, uh, uh, it is funny being in a baseball game when you're in the, the the third place, third base bleacher or third base line, and people are arguing balls and strikes because it's like you can't fucking tell. You know, <laughs> like I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. People are like, and I was like, how can you tell? Like you yeah. can't. Um, sorry, uh, but back to your question. Um, uh, I think that this team is going to be built around, uh, the pitchers because Luis Castillo's around here for, for five years. Logan Gilbert is a stud and George Kirby. Oh my fucking God. He was, amazing. what a game. Like, like that was, that was, I don't remember how old he is. He's 21 or 22 or maybe 23, but that is a baby. He looks like a baby with his little stash. And he threw a brilliant game. Absolutely. Um, and then, so we're going to build around them. We're going to build around Munoz, who has outstanding stuff. We're going to build around uh, the Matt Brash um, and maybe to an extent Matt Festa. Matt Brash was also excellent in that game. Absolutely. He totally was. Like, I think, I honestly think we have three number ones. I think mm. Brash is potentially they could bring him back to a starter role. Sure. Um, Munoz is working on two additional pitches. Uh, can you imagine if he That's has crazy. four pitches out of the bullpen? Yeah. Uh, and they're all incredible. Like he's yeah. going, he's the next Mariano Rivera if he can do that. Sure, um, totally. I, I know that Mariano Rivera had a cutter and that was it. But anyway. So that's kind of who we're building around on the pitching staff, and they're all incredible. Um, I think that as uh, 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 everyday players, I think it's Cal Raleigh. Uh, I think it's um, uh, potentially Kelnick, potentially. I think it's Eugenio Suarez. I think we can keep him around for the next couple of years. It'll be so tremendous too. in the leadership role. Um, uh, and I think it's Julio. I mean, obviously it's Julio. Julio is going to be here for his entire career. I think that a couple of things I wanted to say about Julio. Um, I think his ceiling is top 20 of all, or top 10 of all time mm. in the entire history of the game. I think that's the ceiling. Um, and I think his floor is top five Dominican players of all time. Uh, yeah. I think he's that good. 
Um, yeah. And uh, I think his game is that well-rounded. The def- defensive plays he made uh, on Saturday were unbelievable. That's, I can't remember what inning it was, like innings it was 15 14, or 14. That save he had where he just like, it looked like he, every ounce of energy and strength that he could pull out of his body, mm-hmm. he did to make sure, I mean, any other, any other player that was a sure hit and, mm-hmm. uh, and they were going to be winning. Like that mm-hmm. was two guys going to base and mm-hmm. to, to be able to grab that was I mean, Kelnick, Kelnick had another un- unbelievable catch two innings after did. that. Like yeah. it was, it was just as athletic and it was just as crucial in the moment. Um, so like Kelnick is a defensive player, like he, he's all there. Um, so if he can just get his bat working a little bit more, then I think, you know, we've got, and then we just need to figure out what to do with that third outfield position there and judge, uh, and just see what happens, you know, in, in the off season, um, judge. Yeah, Aaron judge, uh, and, and maybe like, I, I think that Trey Turner wants to move to second base. I've heard. So like, uh, maybe, maybe that's the direction we go. Uh, but beyond that, um, I just wanted to say one last thing, which is the way this team fought for every breath in the postseason. Yeah. Um, first by clobbering on Toronto and then by losing in the bottom of the ninth, losing in the bottom of the eighth, and then losing in the bottom of the 18th. 18th. Um, yeah. Effectively. Like we're not that far off from, uh, from Houston. From what it sounds like, we're going to lose Jesse Winker, and that's fine. Um, sounds like he didn't actually want to work to be here, uh, which is too bad. Um, That's okay. It's not the Jesse Winker trade. It's the Eugenio Suarez trade. It's the Eugenio Suarez trade. Uh, but that also opens up more room in the outfield there and judge. Uh, and so, uh, but what I wanted to say about Julio is that we saw them work. We saw them get there. We saw them like almost crest, you know, and we got swept. That was the closest sweep in the history of sweeps. Yeah. Um, but you could see Julio knows what's here. Yeah. And he came out afterwards and he said something to the effect of like, we're, we'll be back Seattle. And it reminded me of what Russell Wilson said immediately after that game, they lost against the Falcons. And I think it was two, 2011 uh, uh, or 2012. 2012. It was his rookie season. Yeah. 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 And they went down, they took the lead and then the, the Falcons came back and, kicked the field goal and broke some hearts along the way. But Russell walked out with that ebullient positivity and just said, I have a good feeling about this team. We're going to do something next year. And it reminded me so much of that. I don't think that Julio has the corniness that Russell has, but he has the positivity. I mean, his, his mantra being, I don't lose. I either win or I learn. And like, Approaching the game in that way with the joie de vivre that he has um, and the, the, just the playing the game like a kid, it's, it's magic to watch. And I fully believe him that we'll be back next year and maybe we'll win the division. And even if we don't, we'll give these Astros a run for their money um, and it'll be glorious. And we're, we are where they were in 2015. Uh, So it's just steps at this point. So yeah. I, we're at the beginning of a journey. I'm thrilled to be on it. I, I, I have loved everything I saw out of Julio. I mean, not just what he can do on the field, which is incredible, but 
the vulnerability that he has that you don't see very often in professional sports players of any game. He's giving himself to mm. the game and you can see that it's like he's giving himself in service to the game. I can't remember where I read it. One of you might've been the ones to say it in the group chat, but um, Julio, even in the extra innings was still coming out between innings, throwing balls with the, with the players because they don't need to warm up when it's inning 12, but, but because that's what you do mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. that's what you do for the fans is that, you know, in between uh, the innings, you throw a ball around to warm up. Like, it's stuff like that that I just think is really, really cool um, from Julio Rodriguez. Uh, Millie, so, you know, the the season came to an end. Um, What are are some of your final thoughts? Uh, How did you feel? What was your experience this year? Um. You know, I, I was a little heartbroken, but the interesting thing is uh, in that epic, epic game, um, I had hope, but you, you did sort of start to feel that like eventually someone's going to get the pitch and it's 50-50 who it's going to be but the odds are probably a little more in their favor just because of who they are. Yeah. Um, The first game is the one that just broke me because it, that one just hurt. That was, why are we doing this? What is happening? These choices and yada, yada, yada. And then you get to 18 innings of brilliant defensive baseball. I mean, this, this amazing pitching and keeping freaking Alvarez, who? Like, that was amazing. <laughs> I know. Alvarez and uh, Altuve were 0 for 15 in that game. That's Yeah, incredible. I mean, that doesn't, happen, that doesn't happen to them. I, I was just so impressed that all was forgiven. Like, it's okay. Like, I was like, it's okay. You kept it close every time. You look like a team who hasn't been here in a long time. You gave it up close to the end or in the last inning like that sort of does have that feeling of you know that that extra little bit a lot of times that just comes with experience it comes with being there and that sort of thing I love this team I love their energy my my baby Kellenic maybe didn't have quite the the factor I wanted him to have but man those uh some of his plays, not just in the last game, but he contributed mm-hmm. in every game and, and uh, he made a couple spectacular catches. So I'm really hoping that um, I guess I'm cheering for him for next season. I hope mm-hmm. he he's on the team and I hope he just keeps building and gets that confidence with hitting that he needs. Julio is, is magical. Um, and he is the spark and he is the glue and he does, he just smiles and, 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 and shakes it off and, and, looks at everybody like isn't this fucking amazing that we're here and we get to do this and I think he helps remind people of that and between him and someone like Eugenio Suarez it really is just about like let's keep let's keep the good vibes going like let's let's remember how lucky we are to be here how great it is to play this game and you know sometimes you're going to play cheat and Astros and you're just going to have to you know just do your best and play your best ball and we didn't 
we didn't win the end. I was really sad we didn't get that game four. As I think you all know I, I had tickets. I was going to go with my dad, my <laughs> husband. I wanted that experience so bad and I didn't get it. And uh, I'm, I'm super sad about that, but we'll just have to make it happen next year. You know, um, it's, it really is. Uh, we talked about this last time, but it, this is what we asked for. Mm-hmm. We asked for this. We asked for the heartbreak because only one team is ultimately going to win the whole thing, which means it's going to get harder and harder to accept when that's not your team, when you keep getting so close, mm-hmm. but we're getting closer and the, the movement forward and the wins and just believing in this team has been fun. It's fun to be a Mariners fan. It's not, you know, there are other fandoms where it, it's this obligation or it's this anger that you hold against other people. And in a very typical Seattle way um, with the Mariners, it's, fun to be a Mariners fan it's fun to be a Seahawks fan like it's it's about us and our fun and a lot less about what everybody else is doing and it's something yeah. I like about our fandom but I said did the you're a cheater chance come through on the broadcast whenever was, Altuve and Bregman came up I did not know what they were chanting no okay um it, it was uh, loudly you're a cheater every single at bat for those two players I love it. When the the opening game was against the Astros and and that chant was going up uh, on those two guys too. Oh, real quick, Kirby is 24. Okay, thank that's you. still that very young. Yeah, um, yeah. this team reminds me a lot of that 2012 Seahawks team. Um, not only, you know, in it's a team built around a bunch of young upstarts, but the way the fans are connecting to the team. And the chemistry the team has with each other, leaning on each other. Um, but the way the fans are relating to that team reminds me a lot of that 20, that, that Legion of Boom era Seahawks, where you're really connecting to these guys. You know mm-hmm. who everybody is. You know what their personality is. You know, mm-hmm. you're seeing yourself in some of these people. Um, uh, it's, you know, I, I mean, I think that kind of thing is a, is a recipe for a championship team. What do you think, Curtis? Yes, absolutely. Um, Jerry Depoto has successfully built a playoff contending team. They've been a playoff contending team for the last two seasons. Last season, they failed to get in at the end, but they were in contention for the playoffs. Being a playoff contending team is what you want. Mm-hmm. There's been times over the last 21 years where Seattle has flirted with playoff contention, um, but they haven't done it in a consistent season to season manner. And what DePoto has done with that roster and what Scott Service has managed is a playoff contending team for two years in a row. And we got in and we won a series and we lost. Um, a series in which um, the immediate box score narrative will be that we got swept by a a stronger division opponent, but the run differential between these teams were super tight. Yeah. Um, And um, Seattle went toe to toe. Um, I agree with Millie that, you know, that first game um, in Houston was a bummer um, because uh, I think many of us felt that I, that game was in the bag and um, 
you know, uh, it wasn't. Um, but I also, I kind of feel like, you know, if that mm-hmm. game was played in Seattle, mm-hmm. we, we probably would have won it. You probably, yeah. That very, you know what I mean? I mean, and, that's, that's why yeah. you want that home field advantage. And so I guess where I'm kind of going with this is we've already, we've already gotten to the point where we can say we're a playoff contender. Um, and so we're a good team, you know, we're a good mm-hmm. level B plus team, but let's get to an A team. Let's get to a title judge. team. And so this tree turner where I say like, <laughs> let's, let's not be the 2012 Seahawks. Let's be the 2013 Seahawks. Seahawks with this yeah. team. And like, let's well, go and out. That's what we need into, to do, right? Let's go out let's have an aggressive an yeah. aggressive push bring in agency bring in bring in otani you know and add to the pitching know, staff uh, somebody recommended trading winker and ray for otani and i was like yes please yeah um, you know i don't know why um, you would take that trade but so, i i would <laughs> but yeah i mean i just kind of i was just sort of looking at the looking online at what you know the 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 free agents were and the pitchers and stuff like that get get a legitimate pitcher get a le- legitimate left-handed pitcher get a legitimate bat yeah do those two things and when things. you have a team like this um this is the kind of young upstart mm-hmm. team that's proved themselves now yeah. in the playoffs this is the team that will attract those free agent players yeah um but yeah because they like to work it's because they like to work and they love each other that that will they'll attract it i mean like that's why jesse winker didn't fit in is that he wasn't willing to put in the work that mitch hanniger that julio that eugenio did eugenio came over and was like the work that perry hill puts us through on a day-to-day basis is unlike anything i've ever been through in the majors and i love it and it's like so like let us be known for that. Let us be yeah. known for the fact that you come here, you will do fucking drills every single day. And we want you here if you want to do that. Here's I the reason it. why I think Julio is going to be uh, the greatest Mariner of all time. Um, I have heard it described on um, sports radio locally here by a um, uh, some um major league baseball insider that he um he has the natural um godly given talent of um of ken griffey jr but he has the he has the clubhouse work ethic of edgar martinez um so you've got you've got a guy with like freakish natural athletic Ability. ability to smack the ball around and make plays in the outfield. And you've got a guy who has a tremendous work ethic. Yeah. You know, Ed- Edgar wasn't the greatest athlete on the planet, but he, 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 nobody worked harder in that clubhouse than Edgar Martinez. Too. Well, I mean, that's what, that's what makes a ball player one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. It's when you tie that natural ability to an insane way. I mean, you know, Jerry Rice, you know, yeah. that's Jerry Rice, you know, uh, it's really exciting. Um, There's a reason why they locked him in to a contract that long and, yeah. and, and that extensive is because they know what they've got on their hands with that kid. And he's, yeah, yeah he's going to be, he's going to be so, so go out and just be aggressive and don't, don't rest on laurels uh, thinking that you've got it, you know, you've got it in house, go out and like, sir, like, 
be like be like the Los Angeles Rams for the last few years and just go <laughs> just go crazy. Well, and yeah. he's proven that he might do that because he he uh, Depoto is known for his trades and mm-hmm. his like up and down signings in the exact yeah. same way that um, uh, John Schneider is in That's right. uh, in the Seahawks. So he's just make he wants to find the right fit for this program. And it's I mean there's so many similarities between Mariners now and Seahawks from 2012. It's absolutely it's and awesome. uh, you know. Um, trading for Castillo, I think, uh, is the harbinger of what we're going mm-hmm. to see in free agency. I think that is that was the sign that Depoto goes, oh, the window is now open. This is the time to go crazy. This is the time to get aggressive. Um, it's going to be exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to next season. Uh, let's talk about some Seahawks. The Seahawks played a game on Sunday, a game I thought was really, I thought it was a very fun game. I, I, I actually, every game the Seahawks have played this season, I think has been a blast to watch win or lose. I'm having a lot of fun watching these guys. Um, Seahawks played uh, division rival Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals come to town. These two teams always play each other weird. Um, this game was no exception to that. Um, this was a low scoring slobber knocker. Um, weirdly, uh, though the two teams are known for their offenses. This was kind of a defensive game. Um, there, one thing I want to point out, and then I'm going to, I'm going to give it up to you guys. I, I was watching that offense. And so, you know, the narrative has been, uh, the Seahawks offense is playing like one of the best offenses in the league right now. Geno Smith is, uh, you know, is playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Um, um, and then they don't put up a ton of points. They get one touchdown and, uh, and a bunch of, and a bunch of uh, field goals. And every yard they got, they had to work for. And I think that was the best sign of what's that, that offensive performance was the best sign of what's to come because nothing came easy. It was like guys in your face, the receivers covered all over the place. And this is something we haven't seen in years. The quarterback took what the defense was given him. And so clearly the Cardinals plan was lock up Metcalf and lock up Tyler Lockett and don't give him anything. And Juno Smith said, okay, I'll go to my three and four. And DS Gridge started getting some passes. And Marquise Goodwin started getting some passes. And, uh, you know, the tight end started getting in the game. And then DK Metcalf starts getting some passes in the third quarter. And Tyler Lockett starts getting some passes because it opened it up for him. Um, they moved the ball well. They they weren't able to finish a lot. Uh, the Seahawks have been pretty good in the red zone. Uh, they weren't able to finish, but uh, they were able to move the ball a lot. Um, and uh, let's talk about Kenneth Walker. Like the rookie, Kenneth Walker, taking over uh, the starting role and showing the world why Seattle drafted him where he did. When that guy figures it out, like he made a ton of rookie mistakes in that game but he still ran about a hundred yards. Like he, uh, he had the most missed tackles of all running backs that Sunday. Uh, There's something like he's had the ball 44 times and he's made 22 guys miss. That's incredible. Like that is just incredible. 
So um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. Gino didn't have his best game and it was still pretty good. Um, and that offense, uh, they're, they're cooking up something really, really nice. Um, but Curtis, I think the story of that game was the Seahawks defense finally maybe figuring it out a little bit. What did you see? Yeah, I was there. I was there up in the nosebleeders and I could get a good bird's eye view of it all. Uh, they, 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 um, Seattle uh, finally did with the defense what I was hoping they were going to do. And what I was sort of anticipating would happen um, sooner rather than now. But I kept on feeling like they're going to tweak this thing. They're going to tweak this thing. And what they did, uh, they got away from the um, the more passive uh, two gap sort of not really even attacking at the line of scrimmage, but just kind of holding on the blockers and sort of reading and reacting thing that puts um, the defensive lineman in more of a passive um, position against, um, you know, offensive linemen that are 300 plus pounds. Um, and so what they finally did uh, is they went back to, Carol's DNA of um, attacking the gaps. And, um, you know, they've really only got maybe like one or two guys on that defensive line that can two gap in a, in a three, four looking sort of thing. And that's Al Woods and Brian Monet, but Puna Ford, uh, Shelby Harris and Quinton Jefferson are all um, sort of, they're more, um, they're more athletic, quicker, like three, four, four, three type of defensive tackles that need to shoot through gaps quick. And so, yeah, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of quick penetration, um, you know, and I think it really stymied um, Arizona's um, uh, ground game. Uh, their only ground game was the quarterback. <laughs> Yeah. pretty much um and uh and they also like the three defensive tackles got sacks um because they were containing murray well and they were keeping him in the pocket and you know the way you play murray is the same way you play russell wilson you That's don't right. let him get outside you make yeah. him be a pocket passer and then you get that quick penetration inside and it was it was a really cool thing to watch to see that adjustment and then on um, how like everything marries together with a defense. It was also the coverage looked a lot better. Um, you know, Murray wasn't able to get to the outsides quite so much and he had to throw more inside. And when you know the eventually through the course of the game, when you know the passes are going inside, you can anticipate that better. You know, and so that's sort of like to me, this is this is this is what I would say is the uh, Tariq Woolen effect, because it will from my um, observation, it felt to me that um, Murray was was not trusting going to that area of the field that Woolen was at. He was going other places and where he was going to oftentimes he was trying to pick on Cody Bryant. And what was Cody Bryant starting to do is he was starting to anticipate that. And he was like, he was, he was defending the passes and the balls. Like he was knocking them down. He was He's really good at that guys. And so that now that's starting to come alive. And I think through the progression 
section of the season, I really feel like this defense is going to start to make a turn for the better. It's starting to become a more respectable unit because they're going to play more aggressively up front. And you've got a young, freakishly talented cornerback. Um, who's, who's leading the league in interceptions like, right now, I might he add. Has, he, ha- he has four interceptions in the last four games. And it was announced at the game the last time a rookie – cornerback did that in the league it was Richard Sherman (laughs) (laughs) and he's still we've got Richard Sherman 2.0 but he's like a taller faster version of Richard Sherman like he's in the 99th percentile of speed length explosion like and he's he he isn't even figuring out the position yet eventually he's gonna really know how to play NFL cornerback that uh, when that happens that's kind of nuts that pass that he intercepted that murray threw to him was such a vintage richard sherman interception it's what quarterbacks did to richard sherman in his first like three years in the league before they stopped doing it which is just kind of like that nine ball fade sort of a pass down the sideline that was like automatic interception for Richard Sherman and to see Tariq Wollin just do like look exactly like Richard Sherman was when he saw that ball coming his way and then just like sit anticipate wait with patience for that ball to come and then snatch it right out of the air was really 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 fun to watch yeah, best part about him is what Dick like said about him when he was like looking like Calvin Johnson. You know, it's like it's <laughs> yeah. it's it, it's 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 kind of a, like when you see it live at the game, like it's 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 like something out of a Madden game. It's like it's, it's like a made up character, fictitious <laughs> character that you drafted in Madden in like season two or three of your league that you're playing in. Yeah, what Dick said about him was great when he said that. He doesn't have a fucking clue what he's doing out there. And he yeah. just, he, he, you just ask him what's going on and he just looks back and gives you a thumbs up. And it's like, it's just like he is surviving on talent alone. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. I love it. Richard Sherman is fired up about him. Uh, it, Richard Sherman's fired, fired up, up about, about that, about that defense in general. Yeah. Um, I, th- I, I, I think that. I think it's a really good sign of the defense. I don't think it is um, an anomaly because this is what you get with a bunch of young guys who are learning the game as they go, right? As Mm -hmm. the season progresses, they're learning the game and they're learning their techniques and they're getting better. And we're seeing that now. I think this defense is only going to like trend up and up and up, you know, this was the, yeah. I, I think it's really exciting. Uh, exactly Millie, what you want to see when you hear like, oh, okay, well, now we need to move into a rebuilding fra- phase, whatever the heck that's supposed to mean. And what you get is a class of young players, especially on the defense, who are giving you that spark and are giving you that that feeling that you had a decade ago. We're yeah. like, hey, Oh, this is fun. And they're having mm-hmm. fun. I mean, I know I keep, it's like my theme for the pod today, but if you're enjoying the people you are working with and playing with, and they're, especially for these athletes where they're challenging each other, you know, it, it, it raises things to another level. And I think we all know that that is one of the things that Pete Carroll teams are really good at, right? Is, is creating that culture and now we have these minds on defense 
that are are feeding into it. And it sounds like listening too, from what I understand with the defense, that you know there were some conversations and mm. and there was there was actual listening and adjusting to strengths that happened instead of continuing to try to force this group into into setups that weren't really working for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's super fun to see. I think Kobe Bryant and uh, Tariq Woolen are just dynamite. And um, I really with his four having... receptions and Kobe with four force fumbles. That is so freakish. Right. Kobe right. Bryant in four games has four force fumbles. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And and for the first for the first time, I feel like in you know six games, I was also like Puna, there you are. Yeah, but, you know that that was happening as well. Um, turn Puna loose. True. <laughs> I will. I I want to turn to the offense for a minute though, and and say, I mean, are are you aware who our number one pass catcher actually was in that game? Was it Noah? It was Noah Fan. Like, nice. I mean. It is that pivot that you need of, yeah, if they're going to shut down your receivers, then you're going to go to your tight ends. And then you're going to see if you can trust these, you know, you can trust DS Gridge um, to really start catching some passes. But uncharacteristic to me game for my pocket locket, because um, I'm pretty sure I saw an actual drop that did not, <laughs> that did not get a pass interference call. Um it is it is a, a unicorn, but I do believe it happened. He was targeted five times, but only had two catches for seventeen yards. Um, it, it was uh, that was a hard. The Cardinals game. are really Locking good hands. about taking the guys away that they want to take away. Yeah, like, mm -hmm. that is their strength as a defense. They do this thing when you see it when you see it at the stadium, and you see how that. It looks different from the bird's eye view of it. They they put they crowd the line of scrimmage with like eight or nine guys um, out of the eleven defenders, and they in a split second they when that ball's hiked they make you have to decide where that blitz like they're going to send pressure but you have no idea mm. where that pressure is coming and so really like going back to you know Gino's production in that game it wasn't like it's been the last three weeks in terms of the 300 yards and the multiple touchdowns but he was he was doing a really good job that I think so reading the ball and making quick decisions when he yeah. had to against like pressures that I think would have like I think if this was Russell Wilson he would have been sunk it oh, would have been absolutely it would have been an ugly game to watch. Well, and you I, saw that pass yeah. he missed up the open uh, Denver Bronco. Yeah, right in front that of was him. rough. Like that's yeah. where that's where Gino kind of had to live in this mm -hmm. game. So like yes. seeing yeah. that that contrast of strengths and and Gino's quick decision making as opposed to selling out always for the long ball yeah. uh, said Russ does like we wouldn't have we genuinely would not have won this game with Russell which is not selling out on Russell um so much as it is acknowledging Gino's strengths in this particular game plan. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think if it was Russell Wilson, I, I know exactly how this game would have gone. Yeah. I mean, how sloppy and ugly it would have looked. It would have been a lot of three and outs, a lot, um, of, a lot of like strip sacks or, or sacks, you know, like 12 yards behind the line of scrimmage. And the final score would have ended up being something like 12 and six. Yeah. 
Um, I yeah. remember Millie saying at one point last off season that she just wanted a game manager. Like, a, just can, can we have a good game manager? Geno Smith, like, game managed that game really well. Yeah. Yeah. Like he he no, he, no he Alex Smith me. that thing like yeah. just, that just yeah and move the ball it's mm-hmm. like you know even if you're not getting touchdowns at least you're keeping it out of uh you know the other team's hands and you're able to like go the distance and take a couple shots at that end zone and you know hey Jason Myers uh you know kicking however many field goals you had good job uh, he had a good game um no it was it was it was really exciting for me to watch because um you know in the past few seasons there have been like three, two, three, four games just like that in each season. And they were really painful to watch. And I didn't feel like this was painful to watch. I just, you know, it was a nice defensive slobber knocker that I felt the Seahawks were in control of the entire game. Mm-hmm. Um, I was never worried that they were going to lose that game. Mm-hmm. I, I knew they were going to win it. Uh, it just block, felt like it. The, 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 blocked, the blocked punt in the end zone thing freaked me out. <laughs> it did well that's the other thing is that without that fluky thing the seahawks end up winning 19 to 3 19 to 3 yeah it would have been a total it would have been a total blowout. that would have been a blowout yeah 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 so um really good stuff so uh i don't know millie how'd we do on uh on uh on the predictions well i i did pick the cardinals just to be a contrarian which of course now i seriously regret because you all picked the seahawks to win Absolutely nobody was anywhere close to the score because we all thought that this would be a, a high scoring affair. Yeah. Um, so we're all really lucky that we aren't actual money gamblers, uh, at least to my knowledge, <laughs> on this pod because we all would have bet the over. Uh, <laughs> I'm way too much of a homer to gamble. Same. <laughs> yeah. So congratulations to all of you. <laughs> So we should do the next game, yeah? We should. I think we should, we should. I think we should do the next game. So the, the oh, Seahawks Chargers. are going to be traveling to Los Angeles to take on the Chargers, who had uh, one of those ugly games we were talking about against Russell Wilson and the Broncos. That that game, Russell the way Russell Wilson played in that game is exactly what how he would have played in, in this game against the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Um, Same type of defense. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, so going to Los Angeles, playing the Chargers. The Chargers are four and two. Um, the I don't, I don't know if they're that good. Like, are the Chargers that good? Dude, I don't right know. At the end of that game, sure. Brandon Staley's a joke. Uh, the way that both head coaches man game managed that game, it was terrible uh, yeah terrible play calling he, he needs to fire his friend from college that's up in the booth telling him to go for it on fourth and two yeah. those are horrible like. decisions <laughs> just horrible decisions yeah. um i i i don't i i can't really get a beat on this game i've been thinking about it all day i don't think the chargers are as good as their record um I think the Seahawks are better than their record. Um, the, in, D, in terms of overall DVOA, by the way, Seahawks, number nine. Seahawks are in the top 10. 
mm-hmm. um, which is pretty incredible. Um, I think the Chargers' offensive line is quietly bad. Like I don't. Think yeah, they, they they've lost their starting left tackle and their starting center. They get a lot of pressure, and the run game sucks. Like the run game, they can't get going. Um, so when I take that into consideration and the fact that I think that this Waldron Rams offense matches up really, really well against the chargers defense, uh, this is what my prediction is going to be. I think the Seahawks are running away with it. I think it's going to be 28 to 17. I think it's going to be, I think the Seahawks are going to, going to really take it. I think uh, also, I think Boye Mafe is going to have a breakout game. Nice. Mm. He's do. He's been playing the run really well. That was he the has. other thing I was going to add to the to the to the game. Um, the um, the way in which they they they're figuring out the rotation between Boye Mafe and Daryl Taylor is really cool. Like Boye De- Daryl Taylor played really well. Run downs. Taylor's coming in on third downs rush passer, and that's yeah. nice. It's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, I just looked at this because it was bugging me. Um, the ringer has the Broncos ranked 15th in the NFL and the Seahawks ranked 20th. I, I just, that, that should combination, be reversed. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, A, we beat them. B, they look like shit. They're horrible. B, we don't. So like, um, and I think that there's going to be a little fire from that. Like I, players see yeah. that. And I know we're not playing the Broncos. Um, I think it's going to be Hawks 31, Chargers 24, because there's no home field advantage in that stadium. There's no, in fact, uh, I, I actually, Seahawks fans. I, when I was listening to Bill Simmons podcast. He was talking about, he was like, there's actually a lot of Seahawks fans here in LA that will go to this game. He was like, I yeah. think this might be more of a Seahawks. I think this more might be a Seattle uh, home game. Um, yeah. There, there are no Chargers fans there. No. Uh, Millie, what receiver? do you think? All right, I'll go. Um, I I think that um, I think Keenan Allen is coming back. Mm. I think that um, Sertan, which is why Mike Williams couldn't get any fantasy points for me, is really really good. Yes, I think he's going to take DK out of the game. Um, I'm, Sertan's I'm, on Denver though. God damn it! Right. Yeah. That's why Mike Williams couldn't score. That's, yep. Whoopsie. Oh, good. So we don't have to deal with Sertan. I switched him over to the Chargers in my brain. It makes me really happy. That makes me I think the Chargers would like to have him on their team, too. <laughs> I think anybody would. Right. Okay. But they do get Sertan Keenan Allen. Sertan is back. really good. Like maybe the top in the league. Yeah. No, he's, yeah. he's probably the only reason why they're doing as well as they are. Uh, is because he takes away a, a major receiver in every game that they play. But that is not the team we're talking about. We are talking about the Chargers. Uh, and I'm stalling because I was taking the wrong player into account. Gosh, I, I am, as usual, I'm very, very torn. I don't think it's going to be the high scoring affair. Um, I think it's going to be closer to a like a, a, a 21-23 game. I was going to pick the charters, but screw it. I- I'm going to go Hawks. 23-21 Hawks. Go Hawks. Curtis, what do you think? 
I'm going to say, I'm going to say, uh, 2013 Seahawks. Um, I think that we get, um, I think that we get, uh, we get the chargers. Here's what I think is going to happen. The chargers just played a tough game on Monday night football against one of the best defenses in the league yeah they're legit i think i i think i think offensively even with keenan allen back that offensive line is in trouble and they can't run the ball very well Mm -hmm. and they're a fairly one-dimensional team and so by the way herbert like russ just wants to go downtown like when he gets in trouble yeah he's a vertical thrower and um i think that i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna say that seattle has found a new spark on its defense i think they're gonna be aggressive up front again and i think that um i think that 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 herbert is uber talented enough and young enough to think that he can test uh wool inside of the field and i think i actually i actually think i actually think seattle could get is going to get a couple uh ints against herbert you think Wollin's going to get two huh I think, I think I think I think could get two picks in this game. I think well, that, that would be, be that would be absolutely that would, incredible. I think that I, would I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't I wouldn't be because Kobe's been close on a few too, and yeah. um, and I still think that Quandre Kobe's Diggs been close. Oh man, something. he's so due. I think I think I think I think it's going to be multiple interceptions for the Seahawks defense, and I think it's going to be a little bit more lower scoring again for the offense because I think what Carroll is going to do is. Um, he already talked about like, you know, just wanting Gino to get the ball off quick, get the ball off quick. I think Gino's just going to take what's there. Yeah. And um, you know, and I think that because the chargers play a similar sort of aggressive style of blitzing and stuff like that and stuff that I think that, um, you know, I think that the, I think that they're, they're, game plan is going to be very similar they're going to try and take dk out of it and they're going to try and take uh tyler out of it and so um you know um i think Gino's just going to go to the hot reads you know yeah. and get that ball off quick and it's probably going to be a lot of passes to the tight ends and um d eskridge and um Marquis Goodwin, you know, and I wouldn't even be surprised if um, if uh, Kenneth Walker gets like a um, pass catching touchdown, like a catch and run sort of thing like that. I um, think he would. I, I want him to get. I think he would be really, really good in the pass game. I don't know uh, what he's like as a pass catcher, but um, he definitely has the physical tools to just tear it up, Ladanian Tomlinson style in the pass game. I think, I think if Wallen gets two, then that cements him as rookie of the year. As rookie, oh, absolutely, defensive rookie of the year, a hundred percent. He would have six interceptions, and it, it wouldn't even be halfway through the seven in games. seven games. That's, yeah, that would be insane. Yeah. And I just think, yeah, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think Herbert's got a little bit too much of that playmaker sort of mentality in him and stuff. And Seattle's yeah. going to look to take advantage of that. I also think uh, their, their coach isn't very good. And, you know, when you get a coach like Pete Carroll versus somebody like that, um, you know, what were you saying? Uh, Millie? You saying Millie? I was just going to ask um, what your actual uh, prediction was. I didn't catch it. If oh, you... uh, 28, uh, 17, 
2013. No, I, I got yours, Curtis, Dan. It was 28. 2817. 17. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Hawks. You and I are fairly aligned on that, Dan. Yeah. I think that uh, I just don't think it's going to be close. I think this offense, I think that that Waldron Rams offense um, matches up really well against that defense. I think that they're, they, he doesn't have to chuck it deep because they're just going to find holes in the zone all over the intermediate middle. Uh, and Gino's just going to hit them. And, you know, it, it'll be like, they'll hit, they'll go for the blitzes, but Waldron's going to dial up, you know, uh, a quick slant, right? Boom. He's just going to hit them. Um, that's what I think. Should we dork out about some stuff? Sure. sure. Mm-hmm. Let's dork out. Uh, who wants to start? Millie, you want to, you want to dork out? Absolutely. I do want to dork out. I want to follow through on my promise of watching the midnight club, uh, which I did. How'd it go? Leave a long pause there. Um, here's the thing. <laughs> Cause I just looked to see a couple things about how this is described. Right. And uh, let's see, it's described as horror fiction. It is described as at a manor with mysterious history. Eight members of the Midnight Club meet each other each night at midnight to tell sinister stories and look for signs of the supernatural from beyond. That is not what this is. This is not a (laughs) Halloween series. Mike Flanagan has now gone even further with trying to convince people what horror is um we we all know how i felt about the last one um it (laughs) the actual plot of this story is that a group of eight young people with terminal illnesses meet at midnight every night to tell stories to create what they refer to as ghosts with the idea that that would somehow help them send a sign when they die to the rest of the group that there is something more beyond death. This show is sad. This show is emotional. It is a a meditation on death that I actually think is is interesting and beautiful in a lot of places. Some of the stories they tell, because each episode has a story within it. Some of the stories they tell are great. the the episode where one character it's it's what was supposed to be his death day and he's made it to his death day and he's still very much alive that episode was a standout episode for me um the acting is fantastic there is this subplot about this house is on this land and and there's this this neighbor who has a wellness company and she seems to know an awful lot about the house and its history and there's some kind of cult this is all sort of a subplot to this main plot of these kids and the one who's kind of searching for a cure or something natural that might stave off death and her cancer but it is take it the fuck out of october don't make it part (laughs) of my must-see Spooky season. I was going to say, all of that sounds great, but get the fuck out of my Halloween. Yes, it was the same thing with stupid vampire mass bullshit Christ story last year. Yeah, I'm with you. No, get it out. This doesn't belong in October. I don't want emotional shit in my Halloween. Give me some spooky scaries. Yeah. Right there. 
right behind me. Yeah, that's right. Curtis is pointing at the. I wholeheartedly agree, disagree with all of you on that. Like, give me the emotional in October. (laughs) Fuck the spooky, scary. It's It's not for me. Well, this is well, well, then you might very well. Then you, you have a very good recommendation. Um, <laughs> I just to warn you because they do cut, they do try to set it up like it's something else. Um, the very first episode, the very first story, and this was done on purpose, has broken the record for jump scares. And the whole point of it is, as this person is telling a story, yeah. every time they turn around, this ghost is there. And so when they're telling the story, it's it's 22 jump scares within like eight minutes. And it doesn't no, even thank you. jump scare. <laughs> jump scares, <laughs> no, I don't. But not, it doesn't like, even make you do it because the whole point was like, I guess, you know, he doesn't think jump scares are, you know, important for horror and yada, yada, yada. Who gives a shit, Mike Flanagan. I will just recommend once again, though, the Haunting of Hill House, his first Netflix it. series, is 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 a work of art. Mm-hmm. Go back and watch that. Yeah, that's good. When you're in the mood for a meditation on death with young people, um, by all means, watch The Midnight Club. There's a lot going for it. And don't expect any resolution about the cult and all the other bullshit, because you're not going to get it. Can I just say, like, like everything you're describing there, um, the past the sandpaper to the year eyeballs. two... I have, they've been, these marketing companies have been marketing these movies as like, like I'm a horror fan and they've been marketing these movies as like horror movies. And then I go in, I I see this, especially in A24 flicks and I love A24 and I love horror movies and A24 does great horror movies. And then I go to see these movies and it's not really a horror movie. It's like a meditation about something. And in its own right, it's a really great movie but I'm mad because it's not the movie I went to see. It's like, if I had known it was about something else, I would have taken in this flick and not had these expectations that I was coming into like a cool horror movie. So stop it, marketing people. You're just making people upset. Do you, do you get into Hallmark Christmas movies in the, because it's the reason for the season, Amelia? Or is it... Is it specifically the Halloween of it all? Oh, oh, I love the the Hallmark okay. Christmas movies too. I, I I love to pick them apart. I love them for what they are. I love that you yeah. can stick them on in the background while you go bake cookies in the kitchen. Like I love their cookie cutter party movie to go fart around. Exactly. That is not what I want out of my uh Halloween season. There's something really great about like like a bad movie that knows it's bad. Like there's just Absolutely. something charming about it. Like like part of the fun is watching it because it's bad and that it knows it's bad. The problem I have with B movies though is that most B movies don't know they're bad. That's right. Um, and then like like the room doesn't know it's bad. Yeah, and I so would I say no like desire. it's like that's why those me. Evil Dead movies are great. Like those Bruce yes. Campbell movies are are great because they they know exactly what they are. Mm-hmm. Right, but when you watch the Princess Switch one, two, and three, they know exactly what they are, and they are delightful. <laughs> you should dork out on some Hallmark movies. Uh, this no, I think season. by all means, please bring those. I think to we us. should. Um, uh, I, I'll go ahead and go real quick. Yeah, go for uh, it. Uh, I just wanted to shout out that um, it's not often that my asks of the universe are granted to me. 
and I've been asking the universe to um, please have John Oliver make a, an episode that is centered around trans mm. rights. And uh, he did that this week. Um, and then bonus, John Stewart also did that last oh, week. Buddy. Yeah, and, and I don't know that they talked to each other because they both took very different tacks. Uh, and part of that is the nature of the shows that they're on. But the John Stewart one, which is on Apple, it's called The Problem with John Stewart, uh, if you didn't know. Uh, it is, his show is structured as a three-act, uh, in a three-act structure where he talks and introduces the topic as a little interlude. He sits down with experts about the topic uh, and then has a little interview interlude, and then he has an interview with someone. And so in the context of the first bit, it was like, why are people, why do people have a problem with this? And he explained the idea of gender identity in a non-trans way about various characters and people who are represented on TV. And it was hilarious. It was like, I can't remember the exact details because it's been about two weeks, but he had, you know, the femmest of femme people over here as described by people on Fox News and then just ran the gamut to the maskest of masked people over here. And each of those people represented a different gender because of how they um, identify and move through the world. Um, and, uh, and, and perform uh, gender. Um, and it was just a really nice way to handle that. And then in the, uh, in the segment where he was interviewing people, or sorry, where he had a panel, he had two parents of trans kids. He had a very well-known um, trans attorney who works for the uh, HRC committee, um, or the HRC, uh, and then a doctor who is uh, prescribing uh, doctor to support trans kids or trans people. Um, and, and that turned to be about uh, quite a bit about trans kids, especially. And then he interviewed the Arkansas Attorney General and put on a master class on how to interview uh, these right wing nut jobs who are presenting their view of reality as fact without any uh, scientific support. Um, she said something to the effect of 98% of kids who experience gender uh, dysmorphia or, or gender identity disorder, or what I can't remember what terminology she used, uh, expressed later in life that they were wrong. And John Stewart said, oh, 98%, that's an incredibly made up statistic and just called her on her bullshit right in that moment and did that repeatedly throughout. He, he asked, who are these doctors that you were, that are giving these different, uh, these, this advice that's different from the American Association of Pediatric, Pediatric, Pediatric Doctors or whatever, and, and the various um, mental health organizations that support uh, uh, intervening with, with kids who identify as trans when they're young. Um, and it was, it was wonderful. Uh, and then a week and a half later or whatever, uh, John Oliver comes out and does his entire second act about uh, trans rights. And there's some focus, of course, on trans kids because that's the primary area where we are being attacked and, and where we are being um, shown the door effectively. Um, uh, and, but it's, it was really a lot more about, about you know, trans 
people in sports and trans people moving through the world. And uh, the, the, he showed a, a footage of a um, uh, somebody interviewing a queer person in the 1950s. It was Mike Wallace or 1960s. And they had the person hide behind the plant to protect his anonymity. And so like, it, it, was, it was remarkable to see these two uh, straight, cis, white, Gen X men devote the, the vast majority of their time on screen to talking about this issue. That hasn't happened before. We don't have people who are not a part of this community or not adjacent to this community come out on national media and say trans lives matter. And so I, I feel like it was a watershed moment for me um, because I respect both of them. And, and I had questions about John Stewart because of how he defended Dave Chappelle, but this was so well put together and it represented so much of what needs to be talked about and how the media needs to talk about it um, that I think it's remarkable. And I will highly recommend watching both pieces of uh, um, uh, materials so and then for fun i'm watching the vow on hbo max which is part two it's about nexium uh it's a whole cult thing and it's a documentary and it's like fuck yeah please more that's there i uh, i'm uh, the thing i'm dorking out about this week is kind of adjacent uh to what you're dorking out about alana um i've been reading a book called uh, The Will to Change, Men, Masculinity, and Love by feminist author Bell Hooks. Mm. Um, it is a book, uh, a feminist book written for men about the patriarchy and the trauma that uh, our, you know, white capitalist dominant patriarchal culture um, uh, uh, affects on the men living in the culture. Um, and uh, what it sets out to do is redefine masculinity um, and not just say like, you're bad for, you know, because you're a man, but saying you're good because you're a man, you've just learned some really bad things uh, through no fault of your own, um, but from the culture that we've been living in. Um, and it's, uh, I've gone on a very personal journey <laughs> reading this book. Um, I mean, I've gone on a personal journey for the last probably two or three years, um, all based around these ideas. Um, and I recommend it to everybody, no matter who your gender is. Um, it's written for men, but it really talks about the trauma of patriarchy in general. Um, it has a lot of sensitivity and empathy that I think uh, if you don't identify as a man, right, um, in this patriarchal society, you can come to understand where men come from and these ideas and traumas that have been forced onto them. Um, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I hope everybody reads it. I, I think, uh, I think everybody, I think everybody needs to read it. So that's what I've been doing. Um, and then for fun, I've been watching Atlanta, uh, that's in its final season. Um, and I just, it's one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, and I think it's brilliant. And this season does not hold back. Uh, I think Donald Glover is just absolutely brilliant. And I can't wait to see the next thing that he does. Curtis, what are you darking out about? 
I got through the uh, Rings of Power, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, How was it? That, that you know that last uh, that last episode that closed out season one. Uh, there was a huge uh, reveal uh, of plot that um, I did not see coming at all, and uh, I, I I think the um, production did a fantastic job of uh, keeping that uh, in the uh, in the little. Uh, genie bottle and then releasing on it and so now i got to go back and watch the whole thing all over again to like see <laughs> like you know to kind of follow like okay how did that like what were true all dork there? fashion yeah. and it's true dork fashion too because now like like i've said before i'm not a token guy but this show has sort of like gotten me like all in the, and now i gotta like now i want to go back and watch that that the trilogy films from like the early 2000s with uh, Viggo Mortensen. Um, that's that's the actor that sticks out. Vigo? I know. I love that. I love that Viggo Mortensen. <laughs> I like Viggo. Viggo's great. Oh, I, loved, I think I Viggo's great. I'm yeah. just saying, I would with Elijah Wood or, uh, or, or Ian McKellen. Or, or Ian McKellen. Yeah. <laughs> Ian McKellen's <laughs> terrific. Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, Orlando well, Bloom. I, I knew of those actors while that film was, but Vigo came out of nowhere for he me did. when that movie came out. And I was just like, who's this guy? He's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah. Um, anything else I wanted to say? Oh, uh, last week's episode, I've been following the Star Wars Nan, uh, Nandor, Andor film uh, uh, show, television show. Andor. I got like Andor. Everybody loves Andor. Last episode of Andor, I really like. It's been a little bit of a slow process for me getting. It's kind of a slow burning thing. It's like a Star Wars show, but it has like like in in terms of tone, it feels more like a Blade Runner type thing. Star Wars for for adults is how I've heard it described. Oh, I'm yeah, yeah. Star Wars for people who don't like space wizards, I think would be another way I'd describe it. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, hey, if you're listening to this podcast and you like it, you should hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to it, Spotify or Apple or whatever it is. Also, we're on YouTube. You can see all our pretty faces and our little backgrounds and our our little costumes. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, while you're at it, you should check out Curtis's blog, 12life.com. He's always got some really great insights on there. I like reading it every week. Once again, my name is Daniel Forlana, Millie Curtis, the rest of the 12s saying goodbye and go hawks go hawks go hawks <laughs>